Welcome to the VoiceOver Insider free podcast, a service, of course, of Julie Williams' free VoiceOver Insider. For industry news, tips, and information, be sure to subscribe at www.voiceoverinsider.com. I'm Paul O'Connor, here to introduce our host, Julie Williams. What's coming up on the podcast today? Paul, we're talking to Stanley Fisher today. With two decades of experience, Stanley has voiced, produced, and booth-directed local, regional, and national radio commercials. He's created children's audiobooks. In fact, he edited together a book that I wrote called Bounce and Bobby and did an incredible job on that. You can go to bounceandbobby.com if you want to hear a sample of it. He's a classically trained actor and participated in the conservatory program at Second City, Los Angeles. Stanley has dedicated his personal time to helping sick kids and wounded veterans. I love that, Stanley. As a teammate, he has participated in seven marathons for the Fisher House Foundation, raising just over $150,000 with his team, Yacht Yaz. As a corporate champion for Team Fisher House, he's donated nearly $10,000 in voice work and audio production. And in 2015, he became the new voice of the Fisher House Foundation. This year, he's running a full marathon for Team Fisher House. You actually run 26 miles. Yeah, this will be my seventh race, actually. I've been running the Marine Corps Marathon in D.C. because a friend of mine was a combat Marine, and he's a writer. And we reconnected after high school after he spent 13 years as a combat Marine and was the first Marine sergeant to push through Baghdad after. It's a very interesting story. But as a writer, he came back to me wanting help on a few things. And he brought me in as a voice actor on a project he was working on. And then he tricked me into the first marathon. He told me it was a race and I didn't know it was a full marathon in DC. And I had been working in studios and had not been an athlete since college. And in a very short amount of time, because I agreed to do it without knowing the details, I ran my first marathon, dropped 80 pounds, and I haven't stopped since. Wow. So this year, we're going to New York City. It's a much bigger deal. I will be running in this marathon uh, November 7th in New York City. So it's a, it's a pretty big deal. You know, it's funny. I can't even imagine running that. <laughs> I did a sprint try, and I could barely go three miles without being bored to tears. And yet I can do 200 miles on my bike. It's so bad. I do not recommend it. And this will be my last one. My body is asking me to do yoga. After this year, I'm going to kind of pull back and do yoga and figure something else out to give back. The Fisher Foundation, your name is Stanley Fisher. Is, is there any <laughs> relation there? No, everyone thinks that. You know, the first year I was doing fundraising and I would ask people to donate to the Fisher House and people are like, I'm not giving you money for you. And I'm like, it's not my house. Uh, but no, there's no correlation. I'm sure if we go back on the family tree, we'll find out that the guy who created it might be related to us. But no, there's no correlation. Tell us briefly about the foundation and what it does. The Fisher House Foundation is basically just like the Ronald McDonald House. They provide housing for veterans, servicemen, when they go through long-term treatment for illness, disease, and injury. They found after Vietnam that there was a high number of veterans committing suicide because they would be put into a VA hospital far away from family and they would be, they'd be there for a year or two and they would get depressed and they would commit suicide. And so to get that number down, this gentleman with the last name Fisher came along in the late 80s, early 90s during Bush Sr.'s administration and took a portion of his money and cursed Fisher House and then that Bush administration got behind it and now they have like 80 some homes all over the U.S. and in other countries to provide housing for these, these men and women so that they can have their families with them when they go through this treatment. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really great foundation. You do it all in voiceover. 
what's your favorite? Is it voiceover? Is it directing other talents? Is it the production and post-production, which I know you do tons and tons of? Yeah. You know, when I first began, I think the part I enjoyed the most was the challenge of trying to figure out the voice work. As I've just turned 40, what I've really enjoyed doing recently is helping mentor young talent. Like giving back, I think that fatherly figure showed up because I've yet to have a child. I, I feel that giving back to young young men and women in their early 20s, maybe a few in their 30s, helping them grow has been a part that I've really enjoyed the most. I find a lot of fulfillment there. But I still like to go after the voice work too, so. You do private coaching as do I. The only thing better than, than seeing such progress from week to week is when yeah. the light bulb goes off during your session. Uh, which happens occasionally, but most of the time it's like guitar lessons. You can't do it. You practice the next week. You can do it. And that is, I, I just get such fulfillment from that. And then one of my students got 30 jobs her first year. I'm sure she was excited. I'm not sure I wasn't more excited than her. You know, building confidence is something that comes from my, my dad was a military brat and, you know, he grounded me up my perspective on life. And then I've worked with a couple of health coaches along the way in my life. And one thing I noticed about young, young talent, and I was the same way, is that there's this weird desire for success in the industry that's very unhealthy. And the, this girl that I've been working with since October was kind of the same way. She was really beating herself up a lot, didn't think she was ever going to be successful, judged the way she sounded, the way she looked. And I just told her, I'm like, you, you got to stop doing that. And we refocused her in her energy. And just recently, she booked X-Men in one of the main roles in an X-Men uh, video game. Nice. And it, it changed, it's really changed everything only because we redirected all that energy in a different path. Yeah. And it, it really grounded her as well. And I'm really happy for her. Well, you know what? I think that ambition when they're young is really good, but it's the desperation. Yeah. The needing it so bad that it hurts when you didn't get this job or when things aren't going right. And, and I found that in radio too, the people that are yeah. so desperate to do it. And I was that way at one point, except that I, I moved up really quickly, but then there was a little while where I couldn't find a job. And I was so desperate to have it because my identity was wrapped up in it. And I think yeah. that's the difference. When you're starting and you want to have your career, but your entire identity is wrapped up in it, then there's that desperation. But as you get older and more mature in the career, then it's more like you and I, and it's like, you know, whatever. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, mean, you don't care. Yeah, it's true. Like, like, I still care about my career. I still care about what I do. But I realized after 20 years of this, and I realized this about 10 years ago, um, that I was spending a lot of time and energy in places that didn't matter, things that I didn't have control over, or I would worry about things that I, I couldn't change, or, or I would create this negative story in my head that wasn't even true. Yeah. Yeah. And once I realized that I was the one doing that, uh, I shifted that energy to other places that were fulfillment in my career and it built more stability and a better outcome. And I also found that I attracted different clients that had the same vibration that I had when I shifted and I found more success there. Right, exactly. Um, I've been doing some online dating, <laughs> a little bit of dating, kind of trying. And I've had some guys that were just like so desperate to meet me and sending an email that's something like, well, I know we've never hugged, but love across the miles. And I know you care about me because you're kind. And, and I'm like, whoa, desperation. And I can't yes. think that clients won't feel the same. Like, whoa, desperation. They must not be good enough because competence breeds confidence. If you don't have any confidence, just realize that with your competence, you will build it. Because I was the least confident person ever when I first started. You will build yeah. confidence. But if they don't see that confidence in you, 
they'll assume you're not competent. Yeah, I think one of the biggest eye-openers as a talent was I did some casting work, uh, and then as an audio producer on that end of it, when we're scrolling through and picking talent, the reasons why talent don't get picked have nothing to do with talent. It's all these other weird reasons tied into the money, tied into the client, and clients would make choices with us that we didn't agree with, but they're the client paying the bill. You got to do what they want to do, and they would have weird reasons as to why they pick things. And then I was at a convention once and I heard a, a talent talking as to why he didn't get picked for something and it had to do with a level of politics and favoritism that had nothing to do with him. And I was like, that's, that's so true. The, and the, you'd find that that's more common than anything that's talent-based. And a lot of times when people don't get a job, they think it meant that they weren't as good as the person who did it or good enough to get the job. And that's not what it's about. It's about whether you are right enough. And that just can mean you sound like what the writer had in his head when he wrote it. Or right. it can mean they had one idea, but then they heard you and it's like, wow, that's a new twist. Let's go with that one. Yeah, but it's yeah. not about being good enough. It is a numbers game and it's not about being good enough, although you do need to refine your craft constantly, but it's about being right enough for the part. Yeah, that actually happened to me on an on-camera project. I booked Copper Tone when I was 25. I was doing on-camera work at the time, and it's actually how I weaseled my way into the union. And I was the very last one to audition after like 900 people, and I looked nothing like anybody else that was there. Everyone there looked like a young Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then I'd come through with like a Jack Black kind of feel. I was a little heavier then, and uh, as soon as I sat down and started doing my work, I made everyone laugh. And they, they told me at, when, at the actual filming that I brought something to the table no one else brought. And they, they decided to make the commercial comedic because of what I brought to the table. And it actually ran for two years in the U.S. and in Canada. And it, they did an extension on the, on the job because it, it had such a great frequency from and a return on investment for, for Copper Tone. But it was what I brought to the table. You're exactly right. Um, yeah, you that that changed their mind. And it probably wasn't in the specs. No, but not at all. Be afraid to take the risks in auditions. Mary Lynn Wisner says, always have a lead line, but don't just have it in your head. She said, because they've heard people say, blah, 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 blah. Welcome to this. Welcome to that. Welcome to that. And then when you put a lead line in, you're different already from all the other people that they've heard. The other, like you said, 900 people that they've heard before. Right. I want to let people know who you are with your voiceover demo, because that is what identifies us. Stanley just put together a brand new, or had put together, we, we know better than to put together our own demos. I don't do it either. Uh, no. We both put together other people's demos. You've got to have that other person uh, working with you. He just put together a brand new automotive demo. So I want to play that so you can hear a little bit about who we're talking to right now. Can a car be crafted? instead of produced, designed with attention and care to give a feeling that stays with you. Out of 42 vehicles, based on six different criteria, why did a panel of 11 automotive experts name the Volkswagen Golf Motor Trends 2015 Car of the Year? How do you become America's best-selling brand? You make it for 16-year-olds and the parents who worry about them. That's four. Love takes care of you and always keeps you safe. And love can always make room for one more. Love is why we built a car you can trust. So the Mazda CX-9 offers a comprehensive suite of available iActive Sense safety features that use sophisticated technologies like lasers and radar. Safety isn't a list of boxes to check. 
It's taking the best technologies out there and adapting them to one for you. The ultrasound that can see inside patients. I love that it's not a screaming. I mean, I don't listen to car spots because they're screaming car spots and the deep voices and all that. It just drives me crazy. And you didn't have one of those on there. Well, and it's, no. is there a change that you're seeing in that industry that it is more like what you just did? Yeah, I mean, I've noticed it for a while now on the on the very top of the end of the spectrum of the business. What I want to I want to pursue more of, you know, is that top top level work. And they don't. They're having a conversation. They're very real. They're not screaming or yelling. They're they're connecting. And and what I learned as to why we rolled out new demos is subtext, is getting underneath the script more. From an actor's point of view, what I learned was conflict. You know, if I'm portraying a character in theater and film, we would layer the conflict of that character in that moment and that subtext, if you will, would show up in our face and our behavior and our attitude and. I was essentially doing that in my voice work when I learned it, but when I worked with the guy who helped me put this demo together, we really focused in on subtext on a bigger level with the work and what it did, it just changed the situation. We really dialed into the situation. So as you're voicing it, it just came out and rolled out more real. Like, like in the one spot, that's when I really connected when you're talking about love. Love can mean a, a many different things. And you, it's something that I noticed through him in that spot is that you don't, you not only do you hear love as in was successful, but love was also failure. And sometimes you got to say goodbye to somebody if you really love them. And those many layers showed up, but it showed up because of the subtext that we focused in on. I think the reason I discovered it at this level is because I just turned 40 and something changed inside me that is more grounded and it, I'm able to sustain and hold that subtext and character longer than ever before in my work and go to a whole nother level because there's more of a foundation of calmness in my core. Yeah. And so we realized it was time to roll out new work and that's what we did. We're talking to Stanley Fisher, and when we come back, we're going to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly about voiceover demos. Uh, we'll also talk about the things that he has noticed and what he feels are some of the mistakes that talents make while they're being directed in the studio. He's done that a lot. All right. We'll be right back after this short message. Julie Williams has been a voiceover coach for decades and has helped thousands of talents to launch a VO career, refine their VO performance skills, develop winning demos and marketing plans, and market themselves in voiceover. She's taught all levels from beginners to voiceover coaches. But don't take our word for it. Let's hear what some of Julie's actual students have to say. Canopy Egyptian cotton sheets are designed to get softer every time you wash them, which makes your bed easier to sleep in and that much harder to leave. Why do people count on SunSweet prune juice to stay fit on the inside? It's made only from prunes, nothing else. It's a natural source of fiber and five essential vitamins. It's the smart choice for me. Stay fit on the inside. Healthy looking skin today, clearer skin tomorrow. Look at your palm and imagine it filled with soup. <laughs> Oh, that's hot. Whew. Let's try a salad. Dentine Ice gets you to parties fashionably fresh. Roasted, baked, lightly sautéed, or even still alive. Turkey gobbles frantically. Just remember, eat healthy and exercise. Or buy bigger undies. Your choice. The University of Nebraska Medical Center. Breakthroughs for life. For some, it means lying on a tropical beach. I've been a successful full-time voiceover artist for a long time now, and I've had other well-known coaches, but really, none can compare to Julie. What I love about Julie's coaching is she gets down to the nitty-gritty right away. No time wasted with abstract coaching techniques that can be hard to grasp and really ultimately don't improve the process. Now, Julie and I would be considered direct competition, but that hasn't changed a thing. She's there to help me and give me her best, which I've truly appreciated. 
She really cares about you as a person, which makes the coaching process so enjoyable. No intimidation, just encouragement. She's also exceptional with demo directing. And in very short order, I had a great variety of reads to include on two demos, which are working great for me, by the way. Julie will help you with all aspects of the voiceover business. Highly recommended. Julie isn't just a teacher who teaches during your time together. She's a coach who guides you through every step of your career according to your specific needs. You can find out more about Julie Williams Coaching at juliewilliamscoaches.com or by emailing her directly at julie at juliewilliamscoaches.com. And now, a few final words from Julie and her guest. Welcome back to the VoiceOver Insider Free Podcast. I'm Julie Williams along with Stanley Fisher. And now let's talk about the good, the bad, the ugly when it comes to voiceover demos. But first, you've directed so many talents in the studio. Are there some tips you'd like to share, maybe the biggest mistakes that talent make? I think the biggest thing off the top of my head is wanting to rush to get a demo done. You know, so many talent, they're like, I'm here, where's my success? Let's get this done. And the industry alone has really turned a corner where they prey on people in that that anxiety or that impatient behavior. Um, like I'm working with a kid up in New York City who's been doing film production and he does digital work for like Fox. His dream is to be a voice actor. And he just wanted to ramrod the demo through and I wouldn't let him. And we're now like at month nine working together and I still won't let him because he's not ready yeah, you know and everybody at a different level yeah and i worked with this other woman in greenville and she was ready in three months but that's because she did broadway for 20 years and had a different skill set and you know so I, I you know for someone who's beginning the industry i think you got to take your time and really dial into the right coach before you really spit out a demo and really make sure you've got all the pieces in place because the investment of a demo is to showcase the better side of you behind the microphone. And because of that impatience, that anxiety that people have as a talent, because they've got to be a part of something special. It's a little crazy sometimes, and they hurt themselves in the long run because that demo, when it, it's not effective or it doesn't get the results they want, they start picking themselves apart or they want to blame the producers, they want to you know, blame other people. And it's like, you got to blame your lack of patience. You know, in, in voiceover demos, what I've seen happen is there's a group of people, they're the good demo producers who are typically coaches as well, not just demo producers. They're not right. there to just produce the demo, they're there to direct the talent in the demo as well. And then you've got the incompetent people who think they're okay and they mean well, but they do a crappy job. And then you've got- Yeah, they do. We all know who the predators are, but if you're new to the industry, you don't know. And I can't name them because that puts me in a liability situation. But think about this. If somebody comes to your city and you've always been told you have a nice voice and that's it. And someone comes to your city with a free one, two hour introduction. And then for $4,500, you get this package. You know, there's some people doing that and their coaches are making $25 an hour. Whereas the going rates like 150, 125 to 150. And right. they're making $25 an hour and they really don't have much experience or they come from radio, which is a great industry, but it is not the voiceover industry. And then they get a demo put together and sometimes the coach isn't even directing them. It's an engineer directing them. You know, that's just a, a couple of things to look for. Oh, also, if you want to know who the good coaches are or who to watch out for, I can't tell you who to watch out for. But if you were to say, is such and such a company okay? You can contact Stanley or me and we can tell you, we know who the predators are and we can say, well, in my opinion, that wouldn't be the best way to go or something like that. You can't just say which ones are the bad ones and we tell you, because that would no. be you know, really bad for us. I'll either say, yes, they're good, don't go there, or 
I really don't know them, but that's no reflection on them. Right. When I produce a demo, uh, it becomes an investment between me and your soul. It's not just, hey, I want to spit this out because I need the money. Uh, as a working audio producer and talent, my first focus is working with clients. Um, and then the demo production comes at like the third or fourth thing that I'm responsible for. It's not how I make my living. Right. Um, but if I have that investment with working with someone, my integrity is building purpose. That, that has always been my integrity. And I, I'm not building purpose if I'm lying to you in a demo because when you go out there to shop it around and you get rejected for everything that you're doing because the quality of your voice work is, is below par, you make me look bad. My name's attached to it and I don't want to be attached to that. I've actually turned talent away. I, there was a guy in, when I was living in Greenville that desperately wanted a demo created and I told him no. And he got mad at me and he's like, why am I not good enough? I said, well, you got plenty of talent, but you don't have skill. And I said, you need at least two years of training to get your skill set together before I would ever create a demo for you because you seem so desperate for the success. Yeah. And when I really dug into him and was honest with him, even though he wanted to punch me, um, I found out that the reason he was doing that was because of really deep rooted personal issues that his family was going through. And he thought that if he would make it as a voiceover actor, his whole family would change. But I also think part of him thought that he would be ushered into this room, held up by a group of people. And I'm like, that isn't the way it works. And if your family really needs support and help, well, go get a real job and treat this like a hobby for the next two years and get your education before you really turn the corner to turn this into a business. Well, I recommend that anyway. I mean, one person just told me she's one of my students and she works as a radio production director and on-air talent. And she said, when should I make the jump to full-time? And I said, well, when you're making as much money in voiceover <laughs> as you are in your job, which she right. is, I said, then get as much money in that and then take two more months and set aside an emergency fund that's two to three months worth. Just keep working in radio until you've got two to three months worth of pay set aside because there are good months and there are bad months. And she'll yeah. do well because once she starts going full-time, she won't be working eight hours a day at the radio station. You know, she'll right. focus more on the voiceover and marketing herself. I've noticed that, and, and this is kind of a little bit of an aside, there's talent and there's skill. I think of Liberace, okay? He was so talented, but he had to have piano lessons at one point. That's right. He had to develop the skills. And so skill can take you really far. Very few people that I've met in this industry are true instinctive talents. And skill can take you so far. I mean, you can succeed on skill alone, but talent will take you to the next level. But talent without skill, you're not going to go anywhere. That's and, true. And if you just have a voice and not any skills, you're less than skilled because you really don't know anything. And I just, uh, I worked with somebody yesterday with the first session and he's got a great voice, but I'm thinking in this next se session, I'm going to make the decision whether I say, you know what, then I don't say you can't do it, but I say... It's going to take you a whole lot longer and a whole lot more money to get the training that you need in order for you to succeed. Because I'm not going to burst somebody's bubble if that's what their dream is, but I don't want to be part of it. When we do a demo, our name is on it. People ask. One of my students was at VO Atlanta and did a read, and she did so good that the coaches and the people were like, who's your coach? Which is really cool because she said, Julie Williams. <laughs> See, they asked. <laughs> that is nice. And they ask who the coach is if you do great job or if they do or don't like your demo. They'll ask all the time. I always ask my students who produced this. Stanley and I, our name is on your demo. So it's really important that we wait until somebody's ready. Yeah, when I was going through Second City, um, I had taken classes at the Groundlings in Los Angeles. And we discovered that Will Farrell 
took very few classes in improv. He just had that knack for the business. And next thing you know, he's on Saturday Night Live. He yeah. wasn't he wasn't around like Phil. Oh, what was his name? They named the stage after him at sec or at uh, the Groundlings. But he had been around for years before he got on the Saturday Night Live because it took him longer to get that skill set down. Some people are a little luckier than others. <laughs> yeah, and, and luck is part of it too. It's talent, skill, and luck. You and I both produced the voiceover demos. If you could tell me what you think is the biggest mistake people make producing demos, what would you say it is? Um, not casting is the first thing I've noticed. They just either if they're producing, they don't care about the scripts that the talent pick, and talent will pick things based on their ego, not what they're really designed for they don't hear their vocal tones the right way they don't hear their skill set the right way so they end up picking the wrong scripts and i think that the investment of picking the right scripts is the blueprint to building your house and when you pick the wrong scripts you're off base right from the very beginning right and i see that with a lot of talent uh like i'm working with like this guy i'm working with in new york wanted to come at me with all this stuff that floats his ego and i told him i said one you're never going to book this work and I said, you don't have the vocal tones for it. And I said, two, it's going to take you 30 years to book anything like this because of the name that it's associated with, Disney. And I said, and three, I can't produce a demo with any of this content because they'll know that it's not legit. And, yeah. you know, they'll come after us. I was like, so that isn't going to happen. And I, and I hear that. I hear that in a lot on a lot of demos. I just I would not cast certain talent in the work that they pick. And I think that's the first major mistake. I've seen a lot of demos produced by a script collection that a big studio has. And you look at it and, and everybody's knowing, oh, this is from that studio, you know. And yeah. I think that studio, when they produce demos, I don't think they use that script collection. I don't know that they don't, but I think the script collection is just for people to play with. Right. But when I produce a demo, I create the scripts. I either write them or yeah. find them based on having worked with the talent. Because, of course, I'll know the talent by then. I'll know their strengths and their weaknesses. I go through 40 different techniques. And then I come up with what's called the golden tools, which is what separates you from everybody else. And those are a lot of what I choose when I put together demos. Yeah, that's smart. It's, I, see, I think that's great because one thing I've heard too, when I hear a lot of demos, I hear the same scripts over and over exactly. and over again. And it's like, ugh. I think the biggest mistake is that they make their own, particularly those who work at a radio station. They make their own demo. We can always tell. It's, oh, yeah. You know, production-wise and also with their delivery because, you know, radio people can be great radio people and some are automatically good voiceover people. But just because you've done radio commercials doesn't mean that yeah. you have the skills for voiceover because it's not an insult, but it's a different industry. Yeah, I have a girl that I've been working with and she wanted me to listen to her portfolio. And as soon as I heard it, I knew she produced it on her own. And she asked me how. And I said, your compression levels are all off. Yeah. I said, this sounds like you recorded in a tin can. I was like, it's all off. And, and I was like, so if I can notice this, so are other producers who want to hire you or they're checking you out. And as soon as they hear that, that draws them away because they know you haven't booked anything. Now, I just knew it by one guy who, when I was at Voice 2013, 14, 14 probably, uh, he came up and he was one of my assistants. They, when you go teach there, they assign somebody to you. And he, so he gave me my demo, his demo. And I listened to it and I, and I said to him, it sounds like it was produced at a radio station. And then he again was like, how did you know? And I said, well, you need some coaching. The voiceover was like a radio person would do. Music slapped behind each one. Nothing sounded like it was real. Nothing sounded like it had broadcast on TV or broadcast on the radio. So that's one of the reasons I think it's really important to get a professional demo producer 
and also not a company that is a predator. If you're asking for yeah. a $3,500 packet ahead of time, run. Yeah, they do. They just slap it together and the branding is all off, you know, and you can notice it either because that person wouldn't read that script Two, like you're saying, the talent is, sounds like it's a local radio ad. And then three, yeah. the production value is low. Yeah, you can definitely tell. When would you say is time for a talent to update their demo, to put a new one together? You know, I, I think it depends on the talent and where they're at and what they've learned during that process. I will find a common theme that it's usually every two to three years from my point of view. But at the same time, I think it comes down to the talent and how much they're growing and how much they're learning over that time frame. I know people that sat on the demos probably a little too long, um, but I do notice that a lot of change is slow and that it takes a while to, to really evolve the quality of work that you do simply because the ear needs to develop and how you hear yourself. Right. I think great voice talent have great ears so that they can visualize where they want to take the script and interpretation, and it takes a while to develop that. But I, I tend to lean on two years based on all the demos and work that I've done with other people and, and even myself. You know, the two things I think of is when you change or the industry does. For example, when you want to say, here's my demo, but I'm really better than this. <laughs> and, it's, yeah. and also the industry can change. If you have a, an announcer type read, like the radio type read, that was in, in the early 80s. And when the industry changes, you've got to make sure that your demo reflects what the industry is doing. These days, I would suggest, if you're good at it, to have an anthem read on your commercial. Because that anthem read, I swear, one out of four auditions I get is asking for that anthem read. Yeah. Uh, I work with people on it. And if they're not good at it, I just say, okay, well, we're just going to keep this off because not everybody's good at everything. But if That's they right. are good at it, I make sure that that gets on. Yeah, I, I agree. Do you have any advice for talents about how to make the most of the internet to build their business? You know, it doesn't hurt to take classes on social media. Um, I think if you're going to post about yourself when it comes to the internet, clean is the best as far as like your website branding and design. Working with someone to kind of help you brand your brands as to what that looks like. I think everything should have a common theme. So if you're using images, I think everything needs to essentially match so what Coca-Cola does. You know, that's what these top branding companies do. And I think as a talent, you should do the same thing. And I only see a small percentage of talent do that. And then if you're going to post on social media kind of who you are and build your brand, I think it'd be good to do some research on what that looks like so that you're not going rogue and presenting a picture to people that might hurt your career. Right. Um, like, I, you know, as I float through Facebook or any of these other social media sites, you know, I see people post things. I'm like, I don't know if you should be posting that. I get that you have an agenda, but I wanted to work with you. I don't know if I would want to work with you as an audio producer if this is kind of what you're putting out there. I think you're a great talent, but I don't know if I would want to deal, deal with this. Four letter words, forget it. Yeah. And uh, so I think being conscious of what you're posting, whether it's social media or even up on your sites, um, I, I think that, you, you know, the more laid back and approachable you are, the better off you're going to be. And when the market is flooded with so many talent and so many people, um, I think there's a bigger range of choosing who we want to work with. And I don't want to work with someone who comes across a little crazy. Yeah. You know, what I do with my Facebook account is I have a personal one. I don't have separate ones, but I try to post one personal thing. Always keep it non-political and keep it clean. But one personal thing that shows I'm a person and I do activities and stuff like that, then one business thing. And then maybe a funny thing or it might be two business things in a row, but I try to keep balance in it because then people know that not only are you a professional, but you're a person. And once they know you're competent, if you're a person, but you're not turning them off, I think that that draws them to you. And you never know. I mean, I could be out at the beach and they're like, oh, I love the beach too. I've had that happen when I've been out on my bike. Yeah. When I rode my bike from Seattle to Portland, a lot of clients had seen that people were actually following me on Facebook 
And the last picture I took was this sign that said, Portland, 10 miles. And I just posted the picture and went on. And I got so much response. So many people excited because, you know, Seattle to Portland is a long bike ride. And a lot of clients commented on it and it made me more memorable. But then there's people who do political rants. And then there's people who use the F word. Yes. Political rants right now. I think anything political right now is the worst thing you should do for your career. Like everyone's so frustrated with this election. And the other thing that I see with parents, uh, when I was working a lot with kids in the past, parents can be a real deciding factor for their kids. And when they're so neurotic and they want their kids to be that successful, you can actually hurt your kids' careers. I mean, I saw a lot of inappropriate posts where it was a little too aggressive. It was a little bit of bullying to some degree, you know, and then you had other parents that were just cool. They were cool to work with. And because as a parent, they're the manager. And as an audio producer, I got to deal with that parent. So I'm probably not going to book your kid for this job, knowing that I can come to you directly. In the world we live in today, it's more contract-based. There's a lot of times a job will poke its head up where we don't have casting, but I know somebody that's good for this job. And I'll think about that person and go, okay, well, if I'm going to hire this kid to do this, do I want to deal with the parent? And I'll think about that. And their parent, how they present themselves on social media and through emails. You can be a little too aggressive. I actually had a woman who was a little too aggressive on social media and an email and came across very rude. And I cut her out completely. And what sucks is that hurts that 10-year-old child. Yeah. And before social media, the only way you could reach the masses was with print, TV, and radio. And now everyone can reach the masses, but it's, you just gave platforms to people that are not conscious of the fact that they're putting something out there that reaches everyone in one post. And I really want to emphasize that when you do that, people are paying attention. And I've had to learn the hard way too. You know, I, I go back and look at posts I did six years ago and I'm like, man, I was really immature. And so I'm, I'm grateful as I've gotten older, I've matured a little bit. And I'm more conscious of what that looks like. But a lot of these parents uh, that I worked with, I realized that they're just trying to make up for something that they didn't get as a child and they're trying to force it through their kids. Yeah. And they're that stage parent. And it's, it can be a little too aggressive. And um, I've actually ended relationships because of it. Because I'm like, if you're going to do this on social media, you're going to do this with one of my clients and you're going to make me look like an idiot because I recommended you. We're about out of time. Is there anything else that you would like to add? You know, not really. I mean, uh, you know, I spent most of my time growing up in Orlando uh, where I began my career and it's just really changed a lot over the last 20 years since I've been in it. You know, I was lucky enough to work with some really legit people growing up there. You know, my, my first vocal coach was one of the signature voices for Disney. And I worked at one of the only studios in Orlando that had an ISDN back in the late 80s, early 90s. And good people came along and gave me really good knowledge. And I think for anybody that's out there, just be very conscious of who you work with and, and what you're planning. Because when you're attached to the wrong people and the wrong energy and the wrong direction, you're going you're gonna to get those results. And I made a point in 2016 after some changes I went through to really cut out a lot of that garbage. And to be honest with you, it actually helped my career. I'm making more money now than I did in 2015. And my stress and anxiety levels are completely different than where they were. And I'm grateful for that. So that's pretty much all I have to say. I I really don't have any much more to add other than I love what I do and I love doing it with the right people. You've been listening Um, to the VoiceOver Insider Podcast with Stanley Fisher. I'm Julie Williams. Catch us again next time when we have another great guest. We're glad you were able to join us today. Feel free to email Julie with any questions at julie at juliewilliamscoaches.com. We'd like to thank our editor, Morning Joy Lynn, who can be reached at morningjoy at voeditor.com. And of course, thank you for listening. Till next time, I'm Paul O'Connor, along with Julie Williams, wishing you prosperity in all you do.